You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 57, Terror of the Autons. That's as much as you're going to hear about them. Just kidding. Uh, I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have... Oh yeah. What's wrong with being childish? I like being childish. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? <laughs> it's actually I'm doing better than I have been the last couple of episodes, to be perfectly honest. There you go. <laughs> Is it because we finally got to the master? It's more because I got sleep. Oh well, you know, that <laughs> helps too, I suppose. <laughs> we finally, folks, made it to the master proper here in our master story reviews. You know, we we talked about. On uh, the meddling monk with the first doctor. We talked about the war chief with the second doctor. Both are characters who could have been earlier incarnations of the master had they so decided to go there or had the doctor who expanded universe not decided to go a different direction. And after watching this episode, I was like, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> because it was a perfect lead in at the beginning of this thing. <laughs> It was. We'll get there in a minute. <laughs> it was. Yes, we will. Um, but before we get to the master and the terror of the autons, 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 that's as much as you're going to hear about them, pretty much, from this episode. <laughs> We've got a little bit of news, and it was one of those things where I had to go digging a little bit to, to get uh, some news. Uh, this first little piece of information has to do with uh, Doctor Who miniatures. Is that correct, Paul? Yes. What's going on? <laughs> Uh, they're coming out with a game, a miniatures game, um, nice. and it's actually going to come uh, set up so that you can expand on it by adding different miniature packs. Uh, there's like the Tenth Doctor pack. Uh, the I think I saw the was it the Third Doctor pack. I've got um, here on release. We've got uh, Warlord Games doing Doctor Who miniatures. We got Tenth Doctor. 
Twelfth Doctor. There's the Jadoon. Yeah. Uh, the Silence. Zygons. And then they've got... Uh, the game, by the way, is called Into the Vortex. I should, I, we should mention that. But these are the ones that are going to be available when the game launches early 2017. But they've also got some other things that they've got coming down the pipe for later on, including the Ninth and Eleventh Doctor in Companion sets. Um, a set from Voyage of the Damned, the Christmas... That's the Christmas episode, right? With, is that the... Is that the... the the, the Titanic? I is, is that think the, that so, is the Titanic. but I just went blank. That, just, that is the I Titanic Christmas blank. special, right? You're going yes. to make me have to Google this, man. <laughs> I, I think that's correct. Um, anyway, so they got a Voyage of the Damned set, Vervoids, which I'm blanking on which monsters those are, uh, but I recognize the name. The Dominators set, which is a second Doctor uh, foe, Ogrons, uh, Cybermen, Dalek sets, and then they've also got a special Cybermen 10-figure 50th anniversary of the Cybermen celebration pack. Yes! Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, I guess the beast from the pit wants that? I don't know. <laughs> no, Just, I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, guys, this is right up my alley because uh, all the way back to the time when I was maybe 11, 12 years old, I started collecting pewter uh uh, in uh, well back then some of them were even lead uh, miniatures and hand painting them and the whole nine yards and so this is right up my alley these would be perfect for my my desk and my shelves <laughs> and you know even if I don't play the game I want the miniatures you know <laughs> <laughs> I want them now oh my Smaug is, is getting in on this um, so yeah that's that's coming early 2017. Also coming out in 2017 is Volume 2 of the Big Finish line, uh, Classic Doctor's New Monsters. And it has been confirmed that the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, is going to be joining the cast of Volume 2's uh, Classic Doctor's New Monsters as he faces off against... The Vastarada. Yes. So, <laughs> who turned out the lights? <laughs> yeah. That's going to be really good because, especially since uh, we got indications in uh, their David Tennant episodes with the Vashnarada that the Doctor had uh, at some point run into them in the past, mm -hmm. and so uh, this this would be a really nice tie-in, you know, to see that connection there. Right, and uh, from the the brief summary that it looks like we've got here is that it looks like this is uh, probably going to be taking place. Uh, between the period of uh, Sarah Jane and Leela runs with the Doctor on the TARDIS because the fourth Doctor is traveling alone at this point. So, Which you um, don't see a lot of. No, no. Uh, he does have one episode, The Deadly Assassin. Um, mm -hmm. I remember that because I watched it not too long ago, which features the Master. So um, this could actually take place right after that. It could take place right after that, or it could be... Uh, a, an episode where he leaves K9 on the TARDIS uh, after Le after Leela has left and before Romana gets assigned to him by the White Guardian is probably my oh. guess as to when this takes place. So, um, and we'll see if the episode itself gives any indication. I really need to track down volume one of this set because I'm a big proponent uh, of classic and new who being mixed yes. together. I like that. And just like I'm a big proponent with Star Wars of the prequels and the original trilogies being mixed together. Actually, all three trilogies. trilogies. Yes, now all three <laughs> trilogies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so 
I'm a big fan of this sort of thing. I have not had a chance to get my hands on Volume 1. Uh, so, I need to do that. Yeah. And because Volume 2 is coming out next year, uh, maybe I should start putting Volume 1 on my Christmas list. <laughs> I need to find a grid so that it has all of the television episodes and all of the uh, Big Finish uh, audio episodes kind of in order of how they fit in the chronology of the Doctor. So I want, a timeline. Yeah, I want to find that so that I can start looking for Big Finish episodes in the order that they would have appeared in the timeline and listen to them that way. That, I'm sure, it would be very difficult to do a timeline <laughs> for Doctor Who. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I'm sure that they have a plan in mind of when in his timeline that they were supposed to kind of fit, you know. Right, right. Written, but so. I'm just saying, with all the wibbly-wobbly timey-wiminess yeah. of the Doctor and his adventures, I'm pretty sure putting well, together <laughs> an accurate timeline <laughs> is something that uh, is a daunting task, to say yeah. the least. Well, I mean... Nothing is in chronological order on the show except for the Doctor. <laughs> true, <know? So>. true. <laughs> and even sometimes then we question it. Um, yeah, and and well, now there there is the 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 occasions when he runs into the Time Lords and stuff. And somebody actually posted a, a theory online about that, um, where they have a theory as to the reason why everything on the show is out of order except for his meetings with the Time Lords. Uh, okay, and why is that? Their theory is that the TARDIS is quantum locked with Gallifrey, so makes sense. You know, so it was created like, on Gallifrey. Every TARDIS is quantum locked with Gallifrey, and so every Time Lord that uses a TARDIS is synced with every other Time Lord chronolo chronologically, so that if a Time Lords meet, they're always meeting in chronological order. That would make sense. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, <laughs> uh, we have one more item of news, and this is uh, affects uh, U.S. and Australian Whovians. Um, and it actually takes place this year. <laughs> so, uh, I know. Shocker! Something <laughs> Doctor Who related happening in 2016. Well, I, I'm amazed. Getting, we're, we're getting power of the Daleks. Slowly. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> How, how many episodes are you into that right now? Two, I'm three? actually I'm actually so irritated by the fact that I have to watch them week after week after week that I'm recording them all to my DVR so I can watch them all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but is, is this week two or three right now? We're, uh, we're coming up on week... as At the recording of this episode, we're coming up on week three tomorrow night. Okay. Um, so we'll have three more weeks to go. Um, and then we'll be at the Christmas episode. Right. So <laughs> our, our yeah. crossover episode with yeah. Power of the Daleks, uh, probably going to happen after early our Christmas episode. Yes. Yeah. Probably uh, early 2017 at this point. Probably be our New Year's recording or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But back to the return of Dr. Mysterio, which is the <laughs> title of this year's Christmas episode. Um, I'm starting to think that that title is ironic, by the way. Maybe we'll see. Because, you know, in Spanish, Mysterio, you know, would actually mean Doctor Who, basically. Right. So. Right. <laughs> uh, Peter Capaldi has made a point of, of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, the return of Doctor Mysterio, uh, as with some previous uh, year releases, um, will be shown in U.S. and Australian theaters 
shortly after the premiere. Uh, On so twenty seventh. Yes, the twenty seventh, Tuesday the twenty seventh, and Thursday the 29th, according to this article, uh, at seven p.m. Uh, local time. And I don't know if that's if one of those dates is for the U.S. and one of those dates is for Australia, or if they're yeah. both for both countries. We'll have to um, look at it on Fathom Events and find out. So. Right, mm. right. Um, uh, tickets are not going. No, oh. actually, it looks like tickets are already available. Perhaps. I don't know if I will see this in the theater because it's two days or four days after the original airing, so I will right. probably just watch it on the TVs. Um, yeah. That, well, in um, my in my case, I'm going to have you know the theater quality experience at home anyway, <laughs> so I might as well watch it at home. Right. However, you know, with like you know the the power of the Daleks, with it being all set up as you know like this huge event with you know the whole. Uh, uh, screening and all of that. I wanted to see that in the theater, you know. Right. So, right. Um, the the one thing about seeing it in the theater, if you are in the U.S. or in Australia, is there will be two exclusive bonus features, which will probably end up on the DVD and Blu-ray release of mm-hmm. uh, the Return of Doctor Mysterio. Uh, there will be a a new kind of superhero, which is a special inside look at Doctor Who's concept of a modern superhero, and then Doctor Who Extra. Uh, which is the behind-the-scenes making of this year's special, you know, with uh, appearances by stars Peter Capaldi and Matt Matt Lucas and showrunner and executive producer Stephen Moffat. So there you go. <laughs> um, so yes, if you are in the U.S. or in Australia and you want to go see this in the theater, Tuesday, December 27th or Thursday, December 29th, check your uh, local Fathom Events website uh, for exact locations and ticket prices. Um, yeah, um, I got a feeling that Stephen Moffat's going to probably be a little bit more visible since this is his last uh, hurrah with the show uh, than he has been maybe in past uh, series. That's just my theory on that, you know. It's possible. <laughs> so, nothing too breaking, but... Well, I, it's exciting to me. So, right, right. Know. I mean, it, any news at this point re- revolving around Doctor Who is exciting because... <laughs> Again, 2016, <laughs> silence. Well, uh, it, it, especially when it comes to things like Big Finish or specific <laughs> Doctor Who products, that excites me very greatly. Yes. But, uh, you know, anyways, there, there you go. There's the news. <laughs> um, let's get back to the episode. Alright, so today we are talking about Terror of the Autons, which is the first episode featuring the Master proper. Again, we like we said earlier, we did uh, include the Meddling Monk and the War Chief in this lead-up to our Master Story reviews, because... Because why wouldn't you? Exactly, why wouldn't you? <laughs> we wanted to include the first and second Doctors in this, and get ready for uh, an extended uh, sit-down here with the third Doctor as we talk about the master uh especially this season season eight every single one of the storylines features the master <laughs> this is this is a pretty interesting episode because not only does it introduce the master as you know this arch villain this arch nemesis for the doctor uh but 
It also introduces Joe Grant as the companion. So this is her first episode. Now, we've already talked about her mm-hmm. uh, in our Planet of the Daleks story review that we did yeah. a while back. And she's a character that uh, definitely grew throughout her time yeah. um, on the show. And so as we go through this episode, you'll see her starting point and where she is at the beginning versus where we get her, you know, much later on towards the end uh, and how far she has grown uh, because she, she does <laughs> quite a bit of growing yeah. during her run on, on the show. Terror of the Autons was written by Robert Holmes, directed by Barry Letts, and was originally released from the 2nd of January through the 23rd of January, 1971. Uh, if only we were getting Doctor Who in January this year. Um, anyway, did I say I was disappointed? Sorry. Sorry. I'm just a little irritated that the only thing we're getting in 2016 and in reference to Doctor Who is the Christmas special. And Power of the Daleks. Well, yes, that too. But the only, it's the only thing new, and I know Power of the Daleks hasn't been seen in like ever, but. Well, uh, we anyway. watched the recreations, but you know. We did, which. This was much better. Um, <laughs> I just want... And you'll have to wait for that review. Right. <laughs> I just... I just want... I just want new... New Doctor Who. Is that oh. so much to ask, BBC? Um, Is that bad? <laughs> Is that bad? <laughs> Sorry, let me, let me pinch my nose here. Is that bad? Spoilers. Your opinion on this. Does this seem almost like a soft reboot to you um, in this episode? Bringing in, in terms of, in terms well, of what? Bringing in Joe, bringing in the Master, um, sort of has a slightly different feel to uh, like some of the visual effects and things like that. I wouldn't um, say a, I wouldn't say a soft reboot because this is this is the third Doctor's second season. Right. Um, his first companion, uh, Liz Shaw, left between seasons, I, and of course we, we do get the the master here. Um, I wouldn't call it a soft reboot. I would just say it's it's almost like well let's let's set something new up. Um, mm-hmm. My guess is um, Carolyn John, who played Liz Shaw, uh, probably got cast in something else. That she wanted to take. Well, I, <laughs> I know that the in-story uh, canon reason why she left was because she was overqualified for what the doctor needed to be done. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? she was overqualified and was asked to return to her old job uh, with, I think, a pay bump. Um, so she did that. Um, yeah, but no, the, the, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you kind of have what we were talking about last episode where... Or not last episode, what episode before last, I'm sorry, where we were talking about, um, you know, a complete recasting or whatever. It's not a true complete recasting, but it's like key elements of the show have been altered in this season compared to last season to give it a completely new feel, you know. I, don't, I wouldn't and say it's a completely new feel, though, because you still got the doctor hanging around unit. Um, Unit's colors have changed, but you mm-hmm. still got the Brigadier. Uh, Captain Yates. I think, although I think Yates is new uh, mm-hmm. this season, um, but you still got Sergeant Benton, um, and the Doctor's still fiddling around with the starters trying to get it to work. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's a. It's. I think you would say time has passed, right? 
Um, and, and the doctor hasn't really had an issue of significance in a while. Um, that's probably the way I would look at it. Um, initial thoughts real quick about this before we start delving into some of the plot here. I, I actually enjoyed the story. Um, I liked the fact that there were direct connections between this and Rose. Uh, you know, it, it felt like that they intentionally, when they wrote that episode for New Who, went back and, and literally said, okay, how can we connect this with that? Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, having never seen this before and having seen that in the Doctor's future, being able to go back and see this, I was like, ah, I see the connection here and I see the connection here. And it was really fun to be able to see those connections, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to the point of, and we'll probably get into this deeper in the episode, even to the point of having certain key elements that almost mirrored one another, if you get what I'm saying, mm-hmm. uh, like say, for example, with the chair versus the rummage bin, I'm not following the chair that comes alive and the rummage bin that comes alive uh, Okay, and how they attack different people. That yes. Type of okay. Thing. And so, for me, seeing that kind of stuff in there made it even sweeter to watch this. Gotcha. Uh, And so, yeah, because I love it when they make those connections between the classic and New Mm -hmm. Who. Um, And and I love the fact that that the showrunners of the show in recent years have been so respectful to the classic stuff. You know, to be able to want to make those connections and not have a divergence from that or a uh, uh, kind of a recreating of that i guess you'd say i think the probably the most of a recreation that i've seen is the difference in visuals between just a couple of different races or something and that's not a huge divergence it's just kind of an updating you know mm-hmm. now i will say this the auton spoke in this they 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 didn't speak in new who and so there was that slight difference but it's not enough to matter to me you know right Okay, well, let's go ahead and, and jump into this. Can I say something? Sure, I guess. <laughs> opening credits. It was very, very clear in the opening credits. We are taking advantage of the fact that we're doing this in color. Yes. You know. <laughs> yes. And they, they started that with the previous yeah. season, too. So, um, you know. But, see, I had forgotten about that. And so I'm starting to watch it. And then the stuff starts to morph and change, and all of a sudden I'm looking at it and I go, Darth Vader's head. <laughs> <laughs> because if you look at the stuff that's morphing in the background, there's a key point right before the Doctor's face appears where the shape of that looks just like Darth Vader's helmet. <laughs> I never noticed that. You'll, you'll probably go back and look for no. it now. I see it at the beginning and end of every single one of these episodes. I'm like, there it is. Darth Vader's head in green, you know? And there's our Star Wars <laughs> reference for this show. And then it morphs into the Doctor's face. And and I, I it always catches my attention every time I watch a third Doctor episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's actually talk about the episode itself. I like the opening scene here because we started a circus. <laughs> Oddly, the the uh, ringmaster is, you know, making his rounds, going around. And all of a sudden, this big blue horse box materializes in the yard where all the carts and trailers are set up. And, of course, he has to go over and, uh, who the heck are you? Yeah. Um, and 
of course, the, the guy who steps out says, I am usually referred to as the master. That's so. Universal. <laughs> I, I love the introduction. I love the introduction of the master. Uh, because, you know, he just sort of shows up. And, you know, the, the ringmaster is basically doing what everyone else watching, well, the audience thinks is, who the hell is this guy? Right. You know, <laughs> who the heck are you? I'm usually referred to as the master. Oh, is that so? Universally. Well, of course, the master immediately decides to hypnotize the ringmaster and uses him to steal something, uh, namely the nesting energy unit from the National Space Museum. And this yeah. is, of course, uh, something that we saw in the Third Doctor's first episode the previous season. Uh, the Nestines and their Autons attempted to invade Earth. Which is what they season. directly went back to for the first season of the Ninth Doctor. Yes. The Nestine. Exactly. The Doctor is puttering around in his TARDIS, singing uh, something about not wanting to set the world on fire when he causes a minor explosion and some right. smoke inside his TARDIS. Right. Uh, there was a lot of that sort of stuff in this story, uh, which I liked. <laughs> you know, there, you know. I don't want to set the world on fire. And then... <laughs> <coughs> well, he's fiddling around with uh, the dematerialization circuit of his TARDIS because as the third Doctor has been exiled to Earth, working knowledge of his TARDIS, key working knowledge of his TARDIS has been stripped from his mind. So he's trying to basically reverse engineer that knowledge <laughs> by finding out how everything works so that he can make it work again. He's talking about it being stripped from his mind. We just got finished talking about the master telepathically affecting someone to hypnotize them. Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously the way that the, the Time Lords removed this information from the Doctor's mind was through telepathy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we have a history now of showing the Time Lords using telepathy on at least a semi-regular basis, right? Right. The only character that is a Time Lord that we're not seeing using that on a semi-regular basis is the Doctor. Right. You see what I'm saying? And he probably views it as being invasive. And, and so that, to me, shows a divergence of the Doctor from the mentality of the other Time Lords. You see what I'm saying? It shows that he doesn't see things the same way that they see them. Are you trying to work this back around to the fact that he is the hybrid? I'm actually not, but okay. since, since you brought it up. Nope, nope, we're moving on. <laughs> because we've got Joe Grant entering the picture who messes up his experiment with the fire extinguisher. <laughs> After he thinks that she's just the tea lady. But she's actually his new assistant. And he does not think she's qualified. And when he brings it up with the brigadier... Uh, the Brigadier says, Doctor, you don't need a qualified scientist <laughs> like Liz Shaw. You just need someone to pass you your beakers and tell you how incredibly smart you are. Right. <laughs> uh, and the Doctor takes offense at that and, say, and you know, finally the Brigadier says, fine, I'll reassign her, but you can tell her yourself. <laughs> He's like, wait, what? <laughs> and so the Doctor attempts to do that and... Joe's, you know, kindness and innocence kind of wins him over, and uh, he says, oh, fine. Very glad to have you join the team. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really crazy, mm -hmm. you know, to have it that way in the story, considering that she was actually chosen by John Pertwee yeah. to be his next companion in the show. <laughs> right. 
I thought that was pretty pretty nice to see that. It, it was a little bit of irony. Yes. You know. <laughs> um, the master, meanwhile, has, uh, shall we say, infiltrated a deep space radio telescope um, at a location called Beacon Hill, where he overpowers Professor Phillips and his assistant, Googe, and connects the nesting energy unit into the controls of the radio telescope and uses it to channel power from the nesting consciousness, which is out in space waiting to invade Earth, mm-hmm. into the surviving unit so that that power can be used on plastic here on Earth to start making way for the invasion forces. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the nesting consciousness is actually sort of like a hive mind. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. Um, the reason I'm saying that is because they indicated, like we said before, in New Who, that mm-hmm. the, the one that was there was the last of its kind. Okay. And so yeah, that's the reason why I'm asking is because um, it, it you get the impression that uh, even though it is a Dink, dink, consciousness that there is still a limited quantity of it. Right. You know. Right. Of course, the, the theft of the energy unit has reached its way back to unit, and they're, you know, very upset because that should never have been sent out to the museum. And then they get word that these two scientists have disappeared. So they put two and two together and head out to investigate the radio telescope facility. Yeah. Uh, uh, as what, the, what did you think about the effects and stuff in this part? Uh, well, there's a lot of stuff in here where they're obviously against a blue screen or a green screen mm-hmm. uh, that has um, image, either images or video from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, real life locations being projected on it um, some way. And they're basically on a soundstage. Right, right. Um, I feel like there's a... There's probably a little bit too much of that in some cases in this mm-hmm. because it feels like it's a new toy. Yeah. And so they're using it all the time. The reason I asked is because there's certain points in the episodes where I think it's used for good effect and there's certain points where I think that it's too obvious. Right. You know? And at the beginning of this, I I didn't notice at first that this that that's the method that they were using on the outside of this tower. Um, and it wasn't until... Later in like maybe the fourth episode, I think, where I realized, oh, wait, that's a, that's a blue screen background, you know, um, yeah. and but I didn't notice it at the beginning of this, you know. Yeah, the, the, some of it works fine. Um, other times and there's specific instances that I'll probably mention mm-hmm. where it's so obvious. I can um, think of one specific time. <laughs> there's um, at least two that I'm going to mention. Yeah, we'll we'll um, get to that. <laughs> right. But as the, the doctor's ins- inspecting the telescope itself while the Brigadier and Joe interview the staff, and he runs across a Time Lord who materializes by himself in thin air. Um, <laughs> He's you know, standing on nothing. <laughs> right. Standing on nothing in thin air about mm, 10 to 20 feet away from the, uh, the catwalk that the doctor is on, um, going up to the, the control center of the radio telescope. Right. And then, of course, he goes, oh, Sorry little bit off my calculations and he just sort of like levitates onto the catwalk and goes ah oh, there we are still after all you know these bajillions of light years you know pretty good at game you know that sort of thing <laughs> of course he's dressed inconspicuously in a suit and bowler hat um 
but he's hovering in midair. <laughs> the so doctor tells me looks absolutely ridiculous, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, we're not trying to attract attention, unlike some people. And he references the doctor's <laughs> cape um, with the bright purple lining. Was it purple this episode? I think it was. I think he has a couple of different ones in this episode. Because one, one time I know that it was red. So Maybe I, it was red in this episode. I can't remember. It's either red or purple in this episode. Anyway, that's neither <laughs> here nor there, because he has a bunch of them throughout the show. Um, <laughs> now, was was this supposed to be one of the Guardians? No. He was, he's a Time Lord of some sort. Okay. Like, uh, someone of the Council. We, we don't really get which one, though. Uh, no. Yeah. Although, it wouldn't surprise me if it might be Barusa, an okay. earlier version of Barusa, who okay. we'll, we'll meet later on in these stories. Uh, the Time Lord basically uh, is there to warn him that he's dealing with the Master, and that the Master is on Earth, and he set a booby trap for him inside the uh, control center there, and that if he opens the door, the bomb will go off. And see, they do this in such a way so that you they 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 uh, use this expository uh, moment to reveal that the Doctor has had multiple encounters with the Master in the past. Mm-hmm. Which is why I say they, for them not to make the monk and the war chief the master was a absolute idiotic move, you know, because it just so perfectly ties in to the conversation that they're having at this point. Yeah, you know? right. Uh, that's just my personal opinion, and I'm going to stick with it. But right. uh, I just really felt like that they missed an opportunity with that, you know, because this would have been a perfect tie-in with what we'd seen before, especially with the what happened to, with the war chief. Right. The monk is just sort of meddles and is in the way. The war chief kicked it up a notch, shall we say. Yeah, and then, now... Then the master takes it to, to fully 11, you know? <laughs> right. And the time lord just vanishes, you know? Um, he, he, warns, he warns the doctor about the master and the booby trap, and the doctor says, Oh, well, then you better find some way to deal with it, right? And the time lord shakes his head, goes, nope, and just, boo, vanishes. And he shows back up, oh, good luck, tips <laughs> his hat, and then, boom, gone. <laughs> and it's just like, well, that was helpful. Um, of course, the doctor is able to figure out how to disarm the bomb, uh, manages to find one of the scientists shrunk down inside his lunchbox. Yeah, that was funny, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just realized who that Time Lord reminds me of. Who? Uh, one of the main characters from the Avengers. The British Avengers. Oh, I you ever seen, seen that. that. You ever seen that show? Nope. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like the... Um, uh, sort of like the TV version of James Bond a little bit, or, or maybe the TV version of uh, Kingsman, uh, where okay. there's secret society uh, of spies, and you, I can't even remember his name at this point. I, I've seen it, but I, sh- I should remember his name because I've seen it, but I, I've gone blank. Um, but one of the main characters has the suit and the umbrella and the bolo hat, and you know he uses his cane or umbrella, whichever he happens to be carrying at the moment, as a weapon, you know. And uh, I think it maybe has a sword hidden, hidden inside of it or something. And they, they do all of these martial art moves and all of this kind of stuff. It's pretty cool, you know. But it seemed like a really distinct call out to that, uh, you know, which they came out around the same era, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it, if it was maybe just a tip of the hat, dink, dink, tip of the <laughs> hat to that, you know. 
Oh, uh, but yeah. You say Avengers, <laughs> and my mind immediately goes to Captain America, right. Thor, and you know all that stuff. So anyway, you'll have to look up BBC's Avengers. They actually have a movie of it as well. I've heard of it. I just have never yeah. seen it. Anyway, the Master is getting things going by basically uh, commandeering a small plastics factory um, by hypnotizing and influencing the owner Rex Farrell, who is the young, insecure son of the uh, man who founded the factory um, and is eager to prove himself and to uh, get himself out from underneath his dad's shadow and dad's thumb. His dad has recently retired, and so he's trying to prove himself. Uh, James McDermott is the production manager and doesn't like the changes that are happening because it's not up to their standards, and it's, you know, not what they've always done. And this mysterious Colonel Masters has a new line of products that he wants them to be using. The Master, can we just say, so egotistical that he can't come up with a good fake name? <laughs> Colonel Masters. Yes, Colonel Masters. <laughs> uh, the Doctor, of course, figures out that the Master and the Nestines are in league, and they start uh, investigating nearby plastics factories, because... Obviously, that's where the nestings will go to get their supply of, of autons. Right. Uh, Joe decides to get involved with the investigating rather than just, you know, coordinating everything uh, because she's supposed to just stay there and coordinate and not get involved, <laughs> which she doesn't like. They really underestimate Joe in this episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, a lot. <laughs> right. And she makes her way to feral autoplastics, which is, of course where Colonel Masters is setting up. Um, she sneaks around, notices the Master and young Mr. Farrell uh, having a conversation, but is noticed herself. The Master hypnotizes her and sends her back to Unit with a crate that, uh, you know, at one point contained the Nestine Energy Unit. When they caught her in the show, it was a classic Doctor Who... Uh, companion gets captured moment because it was she looks up and oh hello (laughs) (laughs) she's she's hiding behind a stack of of plastic crates Uh, and you know things are going just fine the master and feral have walked past she stands up to to see where they're headed and knocks one of them over ducks back down waits a minute and then peeks up and the master's staring right at her. And, oh, hello. And, and he just kind of looks annoyed, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, really, I have to waste my time on you now? <laughs> right. The, uh, the crate that has been delivered to Unit um, is all padlocked up. And they are trying to wait for the doctor before they get it open. But Joe decides, using her escapology and all of her you know various skeleton keys try and unlock the padlock and she's very determined and very focused on doing this um she unlocks the padlock but forgets about the ropes that are tied around the box and she starts trying to open this thing and when it doesn't open properly she gets more and more frantic and the doctor walks in realizes that it must be a bomb it starts to smoke right because there's smoke (laughs) starting to come out Benton and Yates are able to contain Joe, and the doctor throws the crate out the window right before it explodes in the river. There's definitely more action um, with this doctor um, 
it, the the action between the first, second, and third kind of builds upon itself. You know, the second yes. has more action than the first, and then the third has more action than the second. Uh, and and like we said before, he becomes kind of the man of action. You know, right. in in the third Doctor. Yeah, the third Doctor is very James Bond esque. Yeah. Um, he he would be kind of the James Bond of space, if you will. <laughs> um, the the doctor, of course, uh, notes that she's under hypnosis, and they set about trying to break her out of it. Unfortunately for McDermott at the plastics factory, uh, Colonel Masters wants to demonstrate <laughs> one of their new products for him. Right, and it's one of these. It's really kind of gross-looking black plastic inflatable chair, which inflates on its own. Yeah. I don't think it was supposed to actually be an inflatable chair, though. I think it was supposed to just morph into the chair, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but it was an inflatable chair right. that they blew up on set. Um, <laughs> you know... Because it starts out as a ba- it's basically a black blob. Right. It's a big black blob that, that the master tosses onto the floor and then snaps... And it starts to do what he wants. I, okay, I'm going to make a m- tiny connection here that, Uh-oh. <laughs> um, you know, the master, every time he wanted to activate something on this uh, story arc, he would snap his fingers. We Are we re- referencing and, Mary Poppins? No, actually, oh. I'm thinking of uh, uh, once we got to the point where David Tennant had basically run almost the fullness of his course as the doctor and was without a companion and was starting to go into his darker period, he started to activate things by snapping his fingers. Opening the TARDIS door right. with a snap of his fingers? And so I thought that was kind of an interesting kind of little Easter egg, if you know what I'm saying. Hmm. We'll see how long <laughs> the Master keeps snapping at things. Yeah. But uh, the chair, you know, after uh, McDermott sits in the chair, the chair becomes alive and smothers him. Yeah. yeah, although the acting of this is, you know, definitely the actor pulling it over his face and not very convincing, I must say. So um, the the final effect of it, where it was kind of smushed down onto his body, was kind of creepy looking, you know. But it was the process the of, it of getting, getting to that point wasn't as convincing, you know. No. Um, now, uh, see, that's what I was drawing parallels with uh, with the new Who is this reminded me of the scene that we had with Mickey uh, where he actually got attacked by the the rubbish bin or the trash can in in America was what we we would call it over here. But, um, and the fact that, uh, you know, it just an inanimate object just came alive, you know, and attacked him. I I drew parallels with that. I thought that that was kind of there to kind of be a little bit of a callback, you know. Right. Uh, The doctor is able to uh, free joe uh from the hypnosis but she can't remember where she was or anything about where the master was um that's been stripped from her mind at least for the moment by the master she's very concerned about this and you know does not react well when she just can't remember you know it, it scares her you know which uh, well, she feels me. completely violated you know right and and horrified and at what at she did time. yeah, yeah. Um. Meanwhile, back at the factory, <laughs> we need the swirly music yeah. for the Hall of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> back in the Hall of Justice. <laughs> oh man, um, the Elder Mister Farrell 
has arrived at the factory because Mr. McDermott had called him previous to his death. He's very upset over McDermott's death and does not like Colonel Masters at all. Uh, the master attempts to hypnotize yeah. the elder Mr. Farrell into submission, but he's stubborn enough and strong-willed enough that it doesn't work. <laughs> a la Jabba the Hutt in Return of the mm. Jedi. Right. Yeah. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. Ah, 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 ah. Well, it, it works for like maybe a split second, and then, in, you know, it's like, uh, no. <laughs> right. Um, Farrell is like, I want you gone. I'm sorry. that We need to go back to what we're doing. And the master goes, fine. Well, at least take a sample of what we're working with here uh, on your way home. Uh, and, you know, See, think it over. Here's the thing, too, though. They made Farrell Sr. Uh, kind of an unlikable guy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because he just really, he treated his son like he was you know, just really incompetent, you know, he was 12. Yeah. And so anytime I see something like that, I, I automatically, I guess, start to dislike that, that type of character, you know? Yeah. And so if something bad happens to a character of that type, I'm literally unaffected, you know, <laughs> because I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, I guess it serves you right. You know? Right. <laughs> so the master gives Farrell senior, this really ugly looking plastic doll that's some type of weird troll doll. <laughs> yeah, it, it's brown and gross, and it just it looks terrible. It looks, it looks terrible. It looks like somebody took a troll doll and shaved its head, right? <laughs> and gave it like you know devil fangs or something. Yeah, made out of tic tacs or something. <laughs> he has also turned the heater up in Mister Farrell's car, and Mister Farrell does not want the doll, but the uh, master insists and throws it in the back seat. On the drive home, the doll comes alive as the heater does its work, but Farrell turns off the heater and opens the window, and the doll reverts back to a dormant state. Now, do you think it did that because it had to or because it was hiding? Um, I feel like the temperature would affected it. The reason I'm asking is because I don't think the house would have been as, as hot as the car was. Well, at the house, he was set next to the radiator. Ah. Mr. Farrell goes home, expresses his concerns at what's going on at the factory to his wife, um, who is also very sympathetic uh, and very horrified at the doll. It they really go out. an ugly doll. It's a disgusting <laughs> doll. Uh, she goes to make some coffee after leaving the doll by the radiator, and the doll comes to life and jumps up and murders Mr. Farrell. I think he strangled him to death. Yeah. Or use those fangs or something. I don't know. I was kind of impressed as to how well the effects worked with the doll on this because, especially for the times, and, and I know that they had to use like blue screen or green screen to make this work, but for the times, I thought it blended in pretty well. I didn't really notice a huge, you know, uh, seam or anything like that that would show me that it was not actually part of the, the, the original footage. Right. You know? Yeah. The, the doll itself works fairly well, especially when it's running across the floor, getting up, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when it's jumped up and attacked Mr. Farrell, that's, you know, the, the actual prop that he's struggling right. with. Um, but yeah, that works. What doesn't work is Mrs. Farrell going into the kitchen because they didn't have a kitchen set. Yeah, the background was not there. No. Uh, also, she, the scene where the master is, is creating the original Autons. Yes. 
they, it's very clear that it, that's a photograph or something behind him. Yes. Uh, yes, that that was the other one. But um, the thing is, I don't think that would have been nearly as obvious if it wasn't out of focus. <laughs> right. Because he and the Autons are clear. You know, they're, they've got a distinct, you know, clear image. Mm-hmm. And then the background is hazy. And it's not hazy as in cloudy. It's hazy as in it looks like the camera's out of focus. It literally yeah. looks like the, the photograph was blown up to fit the shot. Mm-hmm. And it just lost its it's lost its uh, uh, definition because it had to be blown up so much. Yeah. So the master activating some autons in yeah. the lab. Uh, the lab is a complete photograph, and he's on a soundstage in front of blue or green screen, whatever they used right. back then. And it's it doesn't look very good. Um, and then the kitchen, when you know, we get, thankfully it's only like one shot. Mm-hmm. When Mrs. Farrell goes into the kitchen to get the coffee. Uh, we get a shot of her turning around because she hears her husband yell, but there's it's there's no like depth of anything. It's just you know the the, the image that they used for the kitchen is so flat, right. and she's definitely in front of it, um, and it just doesn't it it doesn't look good. I think they used this technique to try to save on budget. They did, know? they did, because um, it keeps they, them from having to build sets. Right, but they could have just not had that shot. It was only one shot. Right. They could have just could have had just not you know him in the other room at all. Exactly. They could have just uh, you know had him screaming and struggling, and then she runs in at the end of it. Right. Uh, you know, you could hear her. You could have heard her calling as he's struggling. You know, are you all right? Is everything okay? And then she comes back in. And you know that's yeah. another thing. But now the, here's my thing too, though. If, if you're trying to save on budget. Just go to somebody who is in the project's house and film in their kitchen. You know what right. I'm saying? You don't have to pay somebody to use their house if the showrunner takes you to his house and lets you film his kitchen. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, some of that stuff to me seems unnecessary. You know, right? <laughs> now, now we go back to unit. Um, Benton has located the other missing professor's car, uh, yeah. Professor Phillips. Uh, and it's at an abandoned field area where a circus had been the night before. Right. So, of course, the doctor goes to track down the circus to see if he can, you know, stir up anything on this professor. Uh, Joe hides in the back of Bessie and sneaks <laughs> along after the doctor told her, no, stay here. You're still recovering from the shock of being hypnotized. And for those uh, who are not aware, the third doctor's car is named Bessie. Yes, third doctor's <laughs> car is named Bessie. It's, a, it's an old-fashioned big yellow car that's, you know, he adores. Cool. He adores. Uh, <laughs> we have a picture of the fourth doctor driving it somewhere on our Facebook page as well. So somewhere, um, <laughs> but of course the doctor's you know going around making a nuisance of himself, asking everybody if they've seen Professor Phillips. Um, when he notices the Master's TARDIS disguised as the horse box, and it's like he instinctively knows what it is. Right. Because he's just sort of, you know, surveying and all of a sudden his head snaps in a direction that he wasn't looking before. And he locks, you know, and he immediately, immediately just locks eyes on the horse box. Well, it's almost like he can feel the vibration of it or something, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the ninth doctor telling Rose that he can feel the rotation of the earth. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it wouldn't be hard to believe that the third doctor could feel the vibration of another TARDIS. Right. Know? Um, of course, this is all part of the master's plan to get rid of the doctor. Um, 
he's left the box there to be found because he's got Professor Phillips there to do some dirty work. Uh, but before Professor Phillips knows the Doctor is there, the Doctor's captured by the Ringmaster and the Strongman, <laughs> who is a an actor that we saw in a second Doctor story yeah. called The Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, um, I, I thought so, but I, I wasn't 100% sure I was going to go back and watch that and make sure. Yeah, no, that's that's the same the same actor. Um, so you know, different costume, right? <laughs> Playing a strong, silent, strong man wearing a Tarzan robe, <laughs> right? Right. In this one, rather than some futuristic clothes, uh, with the Tomb of the Cybermen, which is a great episode, we should be talking about, but we're talking about the Master. Anyway, I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> Jason's not butt hurt. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, uh, you know, the Doctor and the Ringmaster go around in circles with questions and answers that don't really get them anywhere. Uh, Joe manages to rescue the Doctor, uh, but before they can escape, Professor Phillips has located them and is going to blow them up with a grenade. <laughs> Uh, Are we getting patterns here with grenades? Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe. How many episodes in a row have we talked about grenades? <laughs> well, there were grenades that the meddling monk had. Um, we didn't use any. Uh, there was a couple of grenades with the war games. Uh, now we've got a grenade here. Uh, every time grenades comes up, Strax comes up. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> grenades. <laughs> Any problem oh. can be solved with high explosives. <laughs> we still we need, need to see that that Strax Home Improvement show. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I need you to create a, a Suicide Squad image with Strax, Leela, uh, Ace. We got to come up with a couple of other people for that, but we need a Suicide Squad of Doctor Companions. Um, we can we can give handles a body. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know if we need handles, but we got to come up with something. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, Professor Phillips, who is still under the Master's hypnotic sway, uh, attempts to blow them up, but his mind uh, rebels against the idea of murder. He attempts to get rid of the grenade, but ends up killing himself in the process on accident because he can't get rid of it fast enough. Um. The Doctor and Joe quickly investigate the Master's TARDIS. The Doctor takes the dematerialization circuit out of it uh, because he wants to see if it works in his TARDIS uh, when they are mobbed by the circus staff. A police car shows up, whisks them away, just as the Brigadier tries to show up and rescue them. And now there's a chase going on because the police car is being driven by some autons and the Brigadier, Captain Yates, and another <laughs> unit soldier are in hot pursuit. But they think that the uh, police car was sent by the Brigadier. Right. <laughs> it wasn't. Because they, they never saw the Brigadier show up. Exactly. And um, when, he, when he tries to ask for the uh, identification from the officers, that's kind of a creepy shot. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the officers turns around, the doctor looks at him oddly, and then reaches up and pulls his face off, and there's the Auton blank face underneath it. Yeah, it's a, a human face with no eyes. They're just 
dead white voids and it's so creepy looking right before he pulls that face off i'm going yeah dude that's messed up you know <laughs> it is kind of weird i don't want to run into that in a dark alley you know uh, no <laughs> especially um, with the vashta narada <laughs> uh the the two auton police officers have taken the doctor and joe to a quarry to attempt to get rid of them uh but of course the doctor and joe uh managed to escape thankfully the brigadier and captain yates show up and provide a getaway car, uh, and the four of them escape. Unfortunately, the nameless unit soldier does not. Now, um, you've seen more of these episodes than I have. Is this the beginning of when they start to use the quarries in the episodes? Oh, no. No, they've used quarries already by this point. Um, there's a lot of desolate, rocky planets that, yeah. uh, especially the second Doctor goes to. The second okay. Doctor starts the trend, I think, um, Okay, quarries. Um but we do start getting more with the third Doctor as well. It really yeah. ramps up with the third Doctor. And by the time we get to the fourth Doctor, it's like every other planet is a quarry. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially Scarrow and Gallifrey. Mm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor, of course, uh, back at this lab, attempts to replace his non-functioning dematerialization circuit with the Masters. But the Masters TARDIS is a newer one and the circuit is not compatible. But, thankfully, this means the Master is also trapped on Earth because he can't leave without his dematerialization circuits, right. circuit. <laughs> so, the Master is finally getting the right weapon created um, at his plastics factory. And it's a very realistic looking plastic daffodil. You're like, well, what can this do? Well, we'll find out. Because the yeah. Master now has a bunch of Autons in these, you know, big carnival mask things, uh, looking like, you know, mascots of some sort, uh, handing them out. You know, they got these yellow suits. They, they look like um, like a barbershop quartet costume, kind of. Only really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> these giant heads, and they're passing out these... Very realistic plastic flowers. I mean, seriously, if I saw these lined up on a street or something, I would walk in a different direction because they're just disturbing looking. Right. You know? Right. Um, the Brigadier and the Doctor and Joe head over to talk to Mrs. Farrell, the grieving widow of the former... Uh, the former director of Feral Auto Plastics, which is a plastic, uh, you know, factory, um, <laughs> in his death. So they go talk to her. They try and figure out what's going on. At the same time, a mechanic, or a little repairman guy, is uh, installing a telephone in the doctor's lab with a very long cord, or flex, yeah. as Captain Yates calls it. Yeah, he's like. Why does he need this long of a cord? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe he wants to walk up and down while he talks on the phone. <laughs> well, that sounds like the doctor. <laughs> the doctor and Joe and the brigadier uh, retrieve the disgusting troll doll thingy uh, from uh, Mrs. Farrell, who says that it was over by the window when she found it um, after the police were there and the under the curtains. Yeah, under the curtains, <laughs> as if it were trying to escape. Yeah. Which is not disturbing at all. Uh, no. 
<laughs> nope. This was what twenty years before Chucky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the doctor, of course, tries to get it figured out. He can't. In enough time, he needs some more equipment, which is on its way thanks to a call Joe makes. Joe and Captain Yates are left at unit to await the equipment while the doctor and the brigadier investigate the plastics factory, which has now been abandoned. Well, almost. They find a plastic daffodil um, and narrowly avoid death by Killer Auton in the safe. (laughs) Joe and Captain Yates have decided to make a cup of cocoa with the doctor's Bunsen burner, which is sitting right next to the creepy troll doll thingy. (laughs) It, of course, gets up, tries to attack Joe, and Captain Yates shoots it to pieces. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yes, literally to pieces. I kind of, kind of expected the arms and legs and stuff to start moving by themselves. <laughs> Almost, right? <laughs> of course, the doctor gets back and goes, ah, so it's heat. That makes sense. He then shoes everybody out just as the phone is ringing. He goes to answer the phone, and it's the master, who's called simply to say goodbye. And he activates a little signal device, and the, the doctor's... Doctor, the doctor goes cross-eyed. The doctor goes cross-eyed <laughs> as the plastic cord or flex begins to wrap itself around the doctor attempting to strangle him (laughs) Uh, thankfully he starts calling for help and the brigadier runs in and removes the cord from the wall and makes a witty comment of sorry i seem to have cut off your connection (laughs) i actually laughed at that i did too Not necessarily because of the, the, the line, but because of the doctor's expression when he says it. Do you get the same vibe of from them in this episode or the story arc that they literally are saying mean things to each other just to see which one can come out on top? A little bit. A little <laughs> because bit. Because every single time that one of them says something to the other one, you get this little tiny sly grin at the end of it as if... The other one thinks it's funny. You know what I mean? Right. It's like there's this underlined thing of we both know that we're jibbing each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And and even when the doctor sounds really nasty talking to the brigadier, you know, very condescending and everything, the brigadier kind of grins at right. the end of it, you know? <laughs> Although sometimes the doctor is just being a pain in the butt with lines like, you know, sometimes I think military intelligence is a contradiction in terms. <laughs> You know, he says that in this episode to Joe <laughs> in front of the brigadier, I believe. Right. <laughs> who does not take kindly to that sort of comment. But see, I, I get the impression that they're both hamming it up with each other just to see which one can, can beat the other one out on, on witty uh, uh, jabs, sayings, you know. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> the doctor spends the majority of this episode trying to figure out how this plastic daffodil is supposed to work. Because it is a weapon. He's yeah. determined that. It's, it's supposed to do something. And the Brigadier and Captain Yates have discovered the uh, the tour bus, basically, that Farrell and the Autons have been using to pass out all these daffodils in a uh, quarry. The same quarry that they tried to kill the Doctor and Joe in. And right. so they're going to order an airstrike on the thing and just blow it out of existence. Well, that's, that's something else, too. You've got the whole time you have the Autons sitting in this, basically this bus, mm-hmm. saying, we have to go to the next distribution center or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Rex is sitting in the van with them saying, no, we have to wait for the master. And they're telling him, forget about the master. We have something we have to do. 
And so you're getting the impression that the Autons are not really 100% on board with following the Master. No. No, they're not. You know, you get the impression that, that he thinks he's controlling them, but they're actually manipulating him. Right. Exactly. The Doctor and Joe have been left a, a radio to uh, contact the Brigadier if anything comes up. And Joe tries to check in, and the radio waves from the little radio that they've got activate the, the daffodil. So the doctor goes, ah, it's activated by radio waves. And it starts to move around like it's looking for something. Yeah. Joe, unfortunately, gets too close, and it recognizes the pattern of her nose and mouth. It sprays a like an adhesive plastic or something over her nose and mouth, which is designed to uh, asphyxiate her. This was just like the scene in X-Men uh, where, where uh, Toad spit that uh, viscous... Uh, goo on uh, Jean Grey's face and it hardened and she couldn't breathe. Yeah. It, it, it basically, yeah. yeah it, it's, it was it's, almost a shot for shot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the doctor is, of course, able to get the plastic off of Joe and the, the daffodil returns to a dormant state. The plastic film then dissolves in his hand when he breathes on it from the carbon dioxide that he's expelling which is why a rash of unexplained deaths across the country um, has been so mysterious. People have accidentally activated these things early before the real activation is supposed to occur. Right. Of course, this uh, means that they need to go back to the radio telescope, but as the doctor is about ready to contact the brigadier in order to tell him this, the master shows up there in the lab to kill the doctor. Yeah. Dressed in a nice suit. Oh, he's very <laughs> professionally quaffed. <laughs> Looks very much like a male version of Missy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or she looks like a female version of the master. Um, I was trying to be funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> Joe, unfortunately, uh, mentions the fact that the brigadier is about to blow up the bus. And the master goes, ah, oh, well, I'm going to have to postpone your death for now. And takes the two of them back to the quarry to use basically as human shields so that the brigadier will call off the airstrike, which he does right. just in time. <laughs> uh, the doctor is able to surreptitiously use the brake pedal to send a Morse code message to the brigadier to tell him about the radio telescope. Right. Uh, and then... The master uses the bus to transport him and his autons to the uh, radio telescope plant where Captain Yates has been setting up a guard. A huge fight breaks out yeah. between the autons and the unit soldiers. Unfortunately, it's not going so well for the unit soldiers. The well, doctor... They can't kill them. They're made out of plastic. Exactly. <laughs> the doctor and Joe manage to escape and get out of the way. The master heads up to the control room of the radio telescope. And opens a, you know, the, uh, well, there's the, the guy he meets on the stairway. Oh, well, yes. He's heading up the stairway and a scientist is coming down and he just tosses him over the side. Yeah. Screaming to his death. Like, how many stories do you think he falls? Oh, that's at least <laughs> six or seven at that point. Yeah. 
And then the brigadier runs up and says, get a stretcher crew. And I'm thinking, dude, he's dead. He dead. That stretcher crew is not going to help him, unfortunately. He did. I laughed when I heard that because I was like, stretcher crew, really? What are they going to do, just haul his dead body off? I mean, mean, maybe he wasn't quite that high yet, but he seemed like he was pretty high. Yeah. Um, (laughs) See, now this is one of those things, too, where I, I expected it to be like, hey, we can see the obvious you know, dummy falling off of the, the tower with the wiggly arms and legs that look like they're stuffed rags or something, you know? Uh-huh. And I didn't see that. I, I It looked realistic enough to me where it came off as believable. Yeah. Know? Well, this is where they start using some more of the... Uh, I, I don't want to say blue screen work, but because it's mm-hmm. not what we now think of as blue screen work. Um, but the early blue screen work, the image replacement... Right. Uh, stuff that they had yeah. uh, where they start using some of that um, with stunts like this. So uh, see, I was, I was pretty impressed in what we got in that shot because of the time of the, the time frame that it happened in versus what we had seen a lot of times in the past where it was like, you can definitely tell that this is a rag doll, you know? Yeah. And, the arms and legs are just kind of flopping around, you know. And right. The, 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 look, his leg bent the wrong way, you know. That kind <laughs> right. of thing. And, you know. So yeah, I was I, I was happy to see that 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 attention to detail, you know. Yeah. Um, the master has opened up a radio channel for the nesting consciousness to cross over and begin their invasion. The doctor manages to convince the master, "Yeah, you're expendable to these guys." You know, you're only a tool to get them here. Once they're here, they're not going to care about you whatsoever, and they're going to kill you. And that's Uh, when the look comes over the master's face of, oh, crap. Right. (laughs) Right. And so together, the two of them reverse the polarity. Yeah. um, And to reverse the signal and fling the consciousness into deep space. With the, the signal cut off, all of the autons start collapsing. The doctor and the brigadier recover from the feedback explosion uh, and realize the master's already fled. The master gets to the bus, basically, before right. anybody notices that he, you know, <laughs> notices him. He gone. <laughs> and then it appears he comes out of the bus surrendering. Yeah. The doctor is suspicious. He says, don't trust him. The master pulls a gun, attempts to make an escape. Captain Yates shoots him dead. And the doctor goes up to examine the body notices that the body's wearing a latex mask, pulls it off, and it's young Mr. Rex Farrell, yeah. who the master has very callously used as a scapegoat and as a distraction so that he can try and run the doctor down in the bus, making his escape. Yeah. The master manages to, to escape capture, but they will run across him again because the doctor still has his dematerialization circuit. Of course, he still has the doctors, too. Right. <laughs> and the master has the doctors, but they're not compatible with each other's TARDISes. And the, see, it seems like he could find out a way to figure out how to make it cross-compatible. Probably. You know. But the doctor is looking forward to the next matchup between him and the master. It's and, almost like a, a game of chess at this point. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. Um, I got to ask you. Okay. What did you think about the way the Autons looked in this? I think they looked better in this one than they did in their first appearance. Have you seen their first appearance? Spearhead. I have not. I have not. No. Um, 
the basic Auton, where we get just the blank face and stuff, mm-hmm. um, looks creepier this time right. around than their first appearance does. Uh, so that works for me. See, I the, like the face on this better than the new stuff. Yeah, yeah, I liked it too. Um, the costume that they were wearing, the, the mascot costume, was very creepy as well. Just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, unnervingly creepy. Yeah. Um, so this is this is you know a good look for the Autons, I think. Right. Um, <laughs> but of course, you know, they when we get the new ones in. Uh, the episode rose uh they're using the the mannequins that are right. available today you know which have right. more facial features and that sort of thing i um, just really liked the blank no face i mean it especially with the the um how do you the incandescentness of it yeah you know what i mean it almost looked like a light bulb or something the way that it was you know done i really thought that that was creepy you know yeah um Ironically enough, though, the name of this episode, <laughs> The Terror of the Autons, the episode's maybe 20% Autons. Maybe, at the most. <laughs> yeah. It's probably closer to 15% Autons <laughs> and, you know, much, much more Master. Um, right. <laughs> the Master and Joe get equal treatment in this episode, um, I think. Um because you're introducing both of the characters that are going to be established for quite yeah. some time with this doctor. It almost makes the doctor feel like a secondary character at some point. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, um, but no, I, I enjoyed the story. I, I thought it was well told. Um, I thought it was pretty well paced, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was only four episodes long. So it right. wasn't like that. They were just shoveling information at you. You know, they, they, this could have easily been a two-parter in the new series without any trouble at all. You right. Know? Um, but I, I just really liked the way that it all kind of fit together, you know, especially mm-hmm. having seen the new stuff first um, and being able to tie in those parallels and stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Because I love to be able to see the history of these characters and stuff uh, unfold, you know. Right. Um, it's almost like watching a prequel. You know, <laughs> because even though this is technically, you know, something that was created before, if you've not seen it, you know, it's literally like watching a prequel, you right. know, um, and, and so honestly, if, if I had to pick one little criticism, um, the music kind of took me out of it just a little bit. Let's talk about that a little yeah. bit, because the third doctor the music with the third doctor is almost entirely synthesized sound being used Mm -hmm. as music. Um, and that's something that plays out throughout most, if not all of the third doctor's run. Right. Um, sometimes it works. Yeah. Other times, not so much. Yeah. And the master himself, and I can't remember the, the tune of it right now off the top of my head, but that master himself has, uh, a bit of a, you know, a sound that comes mm-hmm. up whenever he's there. Um, and I think that's used periodically throughout his later appearances. Um, but, yeah, there, there was some of the music in this that just uh, it didn't quite work for me. Well, I think it was more the tone of the music than it was anything else. Because it just, sometimes it felt like when you didn't need it to be really powerful, it was still really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of almost blaring at you. Right. 
And then other times when it needed to be really powerful, it just kind of felt like that it was the same tone as what had come before, you know? And so you didn't get as much of a dynamic difference when you needed that dynamic difference, you know? Right. And that was something that kind of stood out to me more than anything else, you know, even more than say like the, uh, the couple of blaring times where the, the background effects didn't work well or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our ratings. Uh, how many uh, how many killer daffodils are you going to give this episode? Killer daffodils. Um, let's see. I'm going to say. Well, it's got one of my favorite villains in it. It's got Joe in it. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm I'm going to say a seven and a half. Okay. Because it had some places where it could have been better, mm-hmm. but it was pretty solid. It was it was. You know, there there weren't a lot of things I would have changed about it as far as the overall tone of it and and everything else. I mean, obviously, like we said before, there are certain episodes that could use a special edition, you know, and this could probably benefit a little bit from that. Um, but overall, I didn't really have a lot of complaints, you know. Right. And I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, I, I think I'm going to be a, a little bit less generous with, with the episode than you are. Mm-hmm. Um because it did take a while for the master to finally find an effective weapon. You know, mm-hmm. first it's the chair, but it uses way too much plastic and it's not very, uh, you know, not everyone's going to get one. The doll was another failed uh, experiment because it was ugly and nobody was going to buy them. Uh, <laughs> and, and then he finally settles on the daffodil in the third episode. And it's like, you know, over halfway through the story before he really starts getting the plan off the it, it almost felt like he was playing with ideas rather than actually trying to come up with real ideas, if you know what I mean. Right, right. Which um, is weird since he's, you know, basically being hired to yeah. have this, you know, breach, this breachhead position for the Nestines um, right. for their invasion. Um, I love the master in this. Uh, I love Roger Delgado as the master. Um, oh, most definitely. And so that's he, something else that, that uh, Michelle Gomez... Uh, Michelle Gomez, to me, feels like a direct connection to Delgado's master. She, you know she is I mean? a bit like a throwback. A yeah. bit crazier, a bit more bananas, um, as she says, but the way that she carries there's, herself. Yeah, but there's just something about her that feels like a direct connection to Delgado's master. I think it's her style and the way she carries herself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely very reminiscent of what we get with Roger Delgado's master. Yeah. Um, he's got to be in my top two or three incarnations of the master. Uh, I think we need to do an episode now of our top. See, of ranking. and I'm going to get, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get butthurt again here. Um, <laughs> when you're, when you're looking at the war chief and you're looking at Delgado's master in this, mm-hmm. they stand the same. Yeah. They walk the same. Their posture is the same. I Their mean, facial hair is very yeah. similar. And so that's the reason why I have that distinct connection with that, you know. And and here's something else. And this is something that I noticed very distinctly when we watched The Time Meddler. Mm-hmm. Go back and watch um, the episode where they show the master in New Who as a child. And tell me if that doesn't look like the child that would grow up to look like the meddling monk. It kind of does. <laughs> it kind of does. It's the round face. 
<laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Um, so I'm going to get off my soapbox now and quit being butthurt. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But um, that, that just really, it, and, and I get bent out of shape a little bit over certain things because I'm such a fan, uh-huh. but you know, I'm also willing to let it go. So <laughs> let it go. No. no. Okay. We're no. not going to do that. All right. Um, so let me get back to my, my, my rating here. Um, I love the master in this. Uh, I like Joe's introduction. Uh, Captain Yates works very well as a part of unit. And this is his first episode too. Um, so the characters are great. Mm-hmm. The story is good. Some of the, you know, toying with ideas, the repetitive toying with different ideas the master does feels a little bit wandery at times. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the story sort of takes its time getting to the the building action. Right. Um, and for an episode titled Terror of the Autons, the Autons really don't factor in very much until the last episode or so. Um, which is fine. Because when they're there, they work well enough, uh, especially for the, the time. But they almost felt like a background. They did. Thing. They definitely background felt like a background. Um, and and like I'm not going to say I don't like the episode, because I do. There's definitely elements of this story that are iconic for these characters. And you know, particularly the introduction, the introduction scene of the Master right. is very iconic and like i you know when we started this i love i love that interaction there you know <laughs> who the hell are you <laughs> i'm generally referred to as the master oh is that so universally <laughs> i love that i love that yeah um that being i, s- I i'm gonna shut up <laughs> okay. that, that being said it's not one of my favorites um I like it well enough. I don't mind rewatching it, mm-hmm. but it's not one that I'm going to go back and just pick off the shelf to rewatch. Right. So I'm going to have to give this. I feel like six and a half is too low because that starts getting into the the bad realm of things. But um, well, five being meh, you you know, know. five <laughs> is meh. I think I'm going to leave it at a six and a half. It's good. Yeah, there are moments in this that are great, but overall, it's just sort of there in some respects. Um, you know, not, not all of them. And I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want people to, you know, think I don't like this story because it's good. It's good enough. Right. Um, and it's, you know, they, they're definitely experimenting with a lot of new toys, <laughs> if yeah. you will, but it's just not one that all that sticks out to me other than it's the first episode that the master proper is in. So, right. So. Yeah, so you're giving it six and a half. Okay, killer daffodils. Um, okay, one of them got run over by the bus. I, I think the reason why it pushed it a little higher for me was because of Delgado. You right, know? right. Because I'm such a Delgado fan. You know? He's definitely the highlight of this story. He's definitely the highlight of this episode. Um, him and he and the Doctor have very few interactions, but the few that they have, yeah, are some of the best parts of this story. So. I think that they chew up the screen when you show them together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I think sometimes less is more when it comes to that. And we'll see but, more of you know. that moving forward here. Um, <laughs> our next episode um, is going to be The Mind of Evil, which is the, the second storyline in season eight of Doctor Who. Uh, you know, it's 
going to be six episodes rather than four. So we'll be spending a little bit more time with the master and getting to know him and the doctor together a bit more. Uh, so the mind of evil will be next uh, as we work our way through the master stories here. Uh, I'm excited about this. Uh, I think I've only seen the mind of evil once or twice back when I've it was seen on. it at all. So. I saw it when Hulu had classic Doctor Who before they got rid of it. Yeah, I was actually going back and watching those episodes, and then they got rid of it, and I was like, no! You know? Right. Uh, because now it's very difficult for me to find classic Who. So. It is. It is. It's unfortunate. Uh, um, every once in a while, Jason will send me a DVD or something. Yeah, I've got cool. some of them, but uh, <laughs> not all of them. Um, and the Mind of Evil is one of those ones that's expensive. It's yeah. super expensive because it's out of print. BBC please put some of these American DVDs back in print so that we can buy yeah. them. Because we'll actually pay money for them, believe it we, or not. We will. We will. We will. Yeah. Uh, I will. I will single-handedly <laughs> keep your American DVD cells going um, the rate I'm doing things. <laughs> anyway, I should just send them a list of things I want to buy. Um, anyway. And while you're at it, these are the ones that need to have special editions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Horror Fang Rock. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what was popped into my head. <laughs> if you want to weigh in on this episode, on your thoughts on Roger Delgado's master, I'd really like to hear some of your thoughts on Roger Delgado's master. That'd be great. Please get in contact with us, interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Uh, you can tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord or email us at Talking Time Lords at gmail.com. Uh, also, links to all of our social media as well as the Talking Time Lords store is also available on our website. TalkingTimeLords.com. Um, I know we've been a little bit neglectful of our social media. I apologize about that. We're going to get back to, to utilizing it a bit more regularly here, folks. It's just been a bit of a crazy time here for both of us schedule-wise. So You have the holiday season. There's a lot of family stuff, family situations going on and things like that. And, you know, it's sometimes life just gets in the way, you know. I, for one, um, have accidentally forgotten, I think, three Doctor Who birthdays at this point on social media. And I'm like, I'm such a bad co-host, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I'll I'll get back on point when it comes to that stuff. Uh, there's certain things that I kind of look over and there's certain things Jason kind of looks over. And so if, if, you, if we miss a Doctor Who birthday, it's all my fault because <laughs> I, you know, forgot to acknowledge it. So, uh, but yeah, um don't forget to leave us a rating and review. And if you leave us a rating and review, um, as long as it's nice, <laughs> in other words, as long as the content is decent, we yes. will, we will read it on the show. Um, and we're greatly looking forward to that. Yes. Yes. We, did there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, I think we might've gotten a rating, but not a review on iTunes because we were showing up on the, the main list there for a little bit. Um, on iTunes, we can scroll down towards the bottom, but you know we were on there when you searched Doctor Who back and and podcast, but not there now. I we think I think down. we might have four. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any reviews though, any, any new reviews. Um, just I think a, a rating. So, which is really crazy considering how much of a buildup we've had with our listener base and stuff. You know, uh, it, it seems crazy to me that we would have the downloads that we're getting and not have anybody review us or rate us at all. Oh, yeah. well, it's kind of feeling a little left out just a little bit. Yeah. Sorry, folks. We're guilting you again. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> come back next next episode where we talk about the mind of evil, 
mind of evil. Evil. Um, evil. <laughs> uh, okay, let's stop that now before we get started on something else. Um, <laughs> thank you, everybody. Send us one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Send us one million reviews. Um, there you go. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> We're getting slap happy. Uh, thank you, it's everybody, fun, so much for listening <laughs> to this episode of Talking Time Wars. This has been episode number 57, Terror of the Autons. For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. There you go. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.